in the beautiful West 7th neighborhood of St. Paul, Minnesota, you're listening to the Capital City Podcast. Let me ask you a question. What is the most influential thing you will do with your life? What is the most influential thing you'll ever do with your life? Now, people might get... um, Maybe offended is too strong of a word, but it stands to reason, and it's uh, a lot of writers throughout history have noted uh, that the answer is that if, if God has it in store for you to raise children, or if you already have, uh, that that's probably the most influential thing you'll do with your life. There are very few exceptions. There are your Socrateses and Nobel Peace Prize winners and da Vinci's of the world who make a larger mark than just passing on Uh, the faith passing on uh, their family culture to their children. But for most people, the most influential thing we do in our lives is to raise children, whether we're able to have them or we adopt them or we foster. Let me tell you guys a story. There's a man in 1954 named Abdul Fattah Jandali. Say that 10 times fast. Abdul Fattah Jandali. He was a Syrian graduate student here in the United States and he fell in love with a girl from Wisconsin who was also a graduate student. She got pregnant. It was then 1955. But they were both going places, right? And they both had their careers in front of them, and they thought, this child is just not going to fit, right? We have more important things, more consequential things to do, they thought, than raise this child. Uh, Fortunately for the baby, this is in the 50s, so their main option was adoption. So what they did is they adopted the baby away. They thought they weren't up to the task, and they adopted the baby away. And a nice couple in California got the baby. Uh, Abdul Fattah and Jandali and his girlfriend then had another child a few years later, and they felt a little bit more ready at this time. They felt ready to keep this child, to to raise the child. Uh, So they got married, but they were each pursuing different things. Uh, These were not, I should say, these are not Christians. They were pursuing different things. They were not looking to parenting. They were not looking to their child as being where they'd make their mark in the world. So their marriage failed. And this second child, her name was Mona, this uh, second child ended up losing touch with her father. So Abdul Fatah was Syrian. And again, his his wife was uh, from Wisconsin, just next door to us. But this uh, baby girl, the second born, grew up and had lost touch with her Syrian father. And she grew up to be a novelist who's written award-winning novels. You can find her books at any major bookstore, really, today. Uh, And she knew as she was growing up, she knew she had a brother out there somewhere. And so she did a bunch of research to try to figure out who that brother was, which was really difficult in a closed adoption process. Uh, But with her uh, researching ability, she was able to finally find this biological brother who was adopted out to this Californian family. He worked in the computer industry. So she flew to California and reached out and met and had a great time getting to know this biological brother. Uh, And she, in connecting with this biological brother, was on her way to connect with her father. So she actually remembered him. I think she was four or five years old the last time she'd seen her biological father. And she was on her way to reconnect with him and asked this newfound biological brother if he wanted to come with. And he chose not to. So a few days later, and also in California, when she sat down with her biological father, this John Dolly, uh, he was just a shell of a man. 
He told her during the conversation that, you know, there was another child before you that we gave up for adoption. And now she had to bite her tongue because this biological brother she'd just met had asked her not to reveal anything about him. And so, you know, the dad says, there was this other child that we gave up for adoption. Uh, And she said, do you know anything about him? Have you ever heard from him? Just sort of playing dumb. And he said, no, that baby is gone. We'll never hear from him. She met this father, her biological father, at a restaurant he was running. At some point, he had failed or sort of burned out in academia and switched into the restaurant business. And as he was talking about his career in managing and owning restaurants, he said, oh, if you could see me in my heyday, I had one of the best restaurants in Silicon Valley. Did you know all the tech titans would eat here? All the big names, you name one, they would come here to eat. Even Steve Jobs ate here a few times. Now, for the kids in the audience who are, who are actually uh, interested enough to listen, Steve Jobs is the guy who invented some of the devices you may have in your home. So if your parents have an iPhone or an iPad, uh, Steve Jobs is the one who built the company and, and invented those, those products, who started Apple. Uh, so here he said, you know, even, even Steve Jobs ate at my restaurant. Uh, he was a good tipper. And Mona sat back a bit astonished at this because it was all she could do not to tell him that Steve Jobs was his son. Steve Jobs was the biological brother she had just met with a few days before, and he'd asked not to have any of this information revealed to this biological father. But that man who was bragging that Steve Jobs had even eaten in my restaurant and shaken my hand once, he was Steve Jobs' father and didn't even know it. And neither did Steve Jobs until a few days before. In uh, John Dolly's pursuit of what he thought mattered, he lost both of his children. And the entire highlight of his career was serving food to Steve Jobs. But unbeknownst to him, Steve Jobs was his son, and he could have served food to him every single day of his formative years. But he thought other things were more important, and he pursued them instead. Now, I think about this illustration. Who had ever heard this before? Anyone, was anyone there? Anyone? Okay, Adam. Anyone else? No? I wondered if like, maybe a few podcast listeners or biography readers would have sort of heard this story. I think about this a lot. Maybe once a week, I think about this story because it's a microcosm of our culture. People think what matters most is their accomplishments, and at the end of their life, they often cry for redemption to children who are no longer interested in hearing it. Steve Jobs never spoke with his biological father, not even once, though they both knew of each other and were both aware Steve died having never talked to his biological father. And this leads us to today's scripture. It's a short scripture. You'll see it linked at the bottom of the lyrics page. You're welcome to read along or just listen. Just a few verses from Matthew 19, 13 to 15. Then the children were brought to Jesus that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. So here Jesus is teaching people bring their kids for a blessing, to have the rabbi lay hands on them. And the disciples, thinking that something more important is going on, rebuke the people for doing this. And Jesus shuts them down. Now in itself, it wasn't a strange thing for people to bring children to rabbis for a blessing. But the, so the, the disciples weren't offended that they were doing that. 
The reason the disciples were upset was because of the seriousness of the situation and what Jesus had just been speaking about before. So odd for a, a sermon um, is that I'm going to read the text before our text for today, and it's actually longer than our sermon text, but this is the context of what, what has just happened. The religious leaders are in a debate over just how easily they can get divorced from their wives. Is it okay with just saying it three times, giving a slip of paper for any cause, or do you need a, a, a certain or a just cause? And Jesus blows them out of the water, and he says, uh, here, I'll read this passage. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. I mean, this, no, this wasn't like there were two camps and Jesus was siding with one camp. He absolutely blew them out of the water because nobody was saying this. Nobody. And actually, there are a lot of Jewish people who still today uh, hold this view of marriage, and they even attribute it to Jesus, though they don't uh, follow Jesus. Uh, but Jesus comes in with this. I mean, they're like, hey, is the bar this low or is it this low? And he's like, actually, it's way up here. The reason you have this provision for divorce is because of your hardness of heart, because you are weak. But God did not make you with that end in mind. He did not make you for that. So he's been talking for minutes about the holiness and sanctity of the family. And then right as he's done talking about this holiness and sanctity of the family, people bring kids in, which are the fruit of marriages, but the disciples don't get it. They're not connecting it. So Jesus is talking about the importance of marriage. People bring kids, which are the fruit of marriage. And the disciples are like, hey, you know, don't bother the important rabbi when he's teaching this important stuff to grown-ups. Now, I don't mean to make the disciples too much of the bad guy. Uh, it actually seems quite logical. Our society is like this. When adults are having an important conversation and kids come up with a question, the same things happen all the time, right? The kids get shut down. But Jesus shows us another way. He rebukes the disciples. He may have just been uh, teaching on complex and controversial themes for grown-ups, but the children are here now. The children are here now, and they are asking for a blessing. And Jesus shows us that we often have it backward, that the things that seem important are really just in passing, right? The things that seem important in that instance may have just been theater, may have just been a public debate for scoring points. But when the children are here, we bless them. We break from the, you know, quote, important grown-up stuff, and we bless the kids. Uh, it's one of the, the many reasons that we truly care about kids here. We just had our Capital Kids ministry just begin uh, a few weeks ago. We had it, and then you know, COVID changed the entire world, right? Uh, and now we're reintroducing our Capital Kids ministry, which is not just about playtime, right? But it is about forming kids in the love of Jesus, right? Learning what it means to read the scriptures, to obey God, to love one another, to love parents, uh, to share, <laughs> to start embodying what it means to be a follower of Christ, even at a young age. 
Uh, so if, uh, if you guys are looking for a way to serve, right, and to be uh, involved in a ministry like that, know that you can, uh, you can talk to Lori or to Nate and Jess in the back. That's not why I'm preaching this sermon, but I wanted to include that in case you'd like to serve in that way, in case you're hearing this sermon and you're thinking, yeah, it, forming the next generation really is one of the most important things I could possibly give my life to, uh, and I'd like to do more of that. Uh, so, and I want to I include this really important caveat because I think Evangelical churches can sometimes get lost in a kind of familyolatry, uh, the worship of the family, and I, I don't want to go there, and I don't mean to go there. Uh, what this doesn't mean is that having and rearing children is really the be-all, end-all. So don't hear this sermon and think you need to give up working or be full-time with kids, because remember whose words we're hearing. Remember whose words we're reading. This is, these are the words of Jesus, who was not married and did not have kids. So he's given time. Uh, he, he gives time for the formation of children here, but between two very complex sessions of teaching to adults, right? He has this marriage and divorce passage, and then basically right after it, a debate with a rich young man asking how to enter eternal life. So there's a really important place for hard work, for you know, being in the marketplace, for you know, uh, furthering uh, the workplace, the career, whatever. Uh, but Jesus reminds us how important the children are to not hinder them and to stop what we're doing and bless them. And I think about this more and more as, uh, as many of you might be working from home and you may not have been working from home a couple of years ago. Uh, what does it look like to be doing, you know, quote unquote, important work that's maybe really just passing work, but uh, important work focused on the marketplace or focused on other adults. And when kids start coming up, right, over and over for attention or with a question or something. What does it look like to follow Jesus in this moment? The truth is for most of us, having or adopting or raising children is the most influential thing we'll do with our lives. Uh, like I said, there are a few exceptions in human history, the kind of names that most people here would know, but even people who become quite successful, quite known among this generation, become completely forgotten in the next. So sometimes I, I really like the magazine Christianity Today, and sometimes I look at the former editors, and I look at the former contributors and the people that were splashed over the cover numerous times in the 60s and 70s, and I don't know a single one of them, unless it happens to be a scholar who's, who continued to live on and write, or maybe Billy Graham, the person who founded the magazine. All of these people who were a really big deal in my sphere of life 50 years ago, I don't know a single one of them. I don't know their name at all, right? They have just passed and they are gone to the pages of history, except for those who they helped to form in the faith, right? Their grandkids are alive right now, many of them still worshiping Jesus because of their faithful labors in the faith. So all of these cover articles and great things they did in their lifetime are virtually doing no work, right? They may have made a few differences in their time that have then continued on, but largely that work has died. But their own kids that they formed in the faith uh, continue to live on uh, with their own uh, grandchildren as well. So those Socrates, those Da Vinci types, even your Steve Jobs types, those people are rare. But the most influential thing most of us do, even people who are quite uh, successful, the most influential thing we do as the generations and decades go on is to have or adopt or foster, uh, somehow spend your life raising children in the faith. For most people, our purpose in, God, in following God is simple. We aspire to lead faithful, quiet lives. We work hard and we work well. And we know that teaching children to love and follow God, to read and obey scripture, 
and to love others as Jesus loved is our greatest task. So like I said, because we're all together, I have a shorter sermon today. I just want to ask you guys three questions. Two are for adults, one is for kids. So the first is, when have you acted like, so I guess specifically for parents, when have you acted like the disciples, ignoring children because you're about more important grown-up business, right? When have you acted like the disciples, ignoring children because you think that whatever you're working on at the moment is uh, more important grown-up stuff? That's one question. Two is, how can you better act out the heart of Jesus in your work and your care for children, whether they're your own or whether you're uh, working in, in a ministry in church or some sort of nonprofit in the city? How can you better act out the heart of Jesus in your work and your care for children? And now I wanted to say something to the kids. I know there are a lot of kids are focused on something else by now, and that's normal. Uh, but for those of you kids who are still with me and still listening, I wanted to say that you matter you are important, and don't be afraid, like these kids running up to Jesus in the middle of something important and grown up, don't be afraid to run in and ask your parents to pray or to ask your parents questions about God or how you can better follow Jesus because you are worth it. And I know, especially from the pulpit in a church, we often don't hear this, and I'm often you know, speaking to the whole group, which means I'm not speaking uh, just to kids. But you guys need to hear that, that just as Jesus breaks from his important grown-up stuff, you matter and you are important. And be bold and run up and ask your parents those questions. Of course, be respectful. I don't want to get you know, chided by parents who are like, my kid keeps coming in during my work meetings and I, I can't have it. Uh, but be bold. Ask your parents how to pray. Ask your parents to bless you, to pray over you, and ask your parents uh, questions about Jesus. When the children are here, we bless them. We pray to close this uh, shorter time today. Father, help us to remember this in our busy lives when we're working on things that are really just of passing importance but seem so important today. Help us to remember that when the children are here, we bless them. Just like Jesus is doing this important grown-up stuff, and then he stops everything and blesses the children, prays over the children, puts his hands on, on the children. Um, we pray that you would help us uh, just to slow down, to remember what matters, to remember what we're really called to, to live faithful, often quiet lives, and that the most influential thing we'll ever do is to pass on your truths, Lord, uh, to pass on your gospel to the next generation. So we pray that you'd help us to, to keep this in mind, to keep things in context, and that you'd help us to bless the children uh, if we should be so blessed to, to be in that position in life. Uh, we thank you, Jesus. Pray all this in your name. Amen. This is a project of the Capital City Church in the West 7th community of St. Paul, Minnesota. Find us on Instagram at Capital City Church STP or visit our website for more information at capitalcitystpaul.com.